Very good morning to you. My name is Neil and I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we lead this amazing church, the Southwest Southern Vineyard. As Mike said, if you're new here or you're visiting, you're very welcome. And if you are new or you are visiting and you um, could vaguely pass yourself off as a student, you're more than welcome to join us in the foyer for pizza afterwards. We'd love to meet you. Last week, uh, if you were here, James was, as Mike said, James was encouraging us from from Revelation chapter 2 about uh, not forgetting um, and not losing our first love. And if you, if you haven't, if you weren't here, um, you missed it. I wasn't here, but um, I've listened to it on the podcast. If you haven't listened to it, can I strongly encourage you to do so? Because I think the Lord is, is speaking to us. I think the Lord is trying to get our attention. I heard James's sermon uh, on the podcast after I'd done the prep for this one. But uh, uh, unless it's just me, I think it's all on the same theme. I th- the Lord's certainly speaking to me. Um, and therefore, he is going to be speaking to the rest of you. Um, I think it's all along the same theme. And it's around this whole thing that Mike was just talking about, even just then, um, about the way in which we live our lives, first and foremost, as, as followers of Jesus. How we um, spend our, our time, how we practice, if you like, the presence of the Lord. So um, let's talk about Jesus this morning. And if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to... Uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you were a uh, first century Jew and you were off at Sabbath, uh, you were off at synagogue, synagogue one Sabbath morning and Jesus were to show up uh, on that day, chances are that as along, along with many of the other people sort of there in the room, you, you'd listen to Jesus and the category that you would put Jesus in uh, would have been that of a rabbi. As you probably know, the, the, the rab, word rabbi, it's a Hebrew word, it means teacher. Um, and, and Jesus was a rabbi, Jesus was a teacher. And a rabbi was a teacher who would travel from town to town um, with his yoke, which was sort of like a first century sort of euphemism for his set of teachings, if you like. And amongst very many other things, that's what Jesus was. Jesus was this young, brilliant, uh, pretty anti-establishment rabbi from the northern part of Israel early in the first century. And when we read through the Gospels, over like 600 times when people are referring to Jesus, they refer to him as rabbi or as teacher. And this is important, I think, for us to remember because it has all sorts of implications for us as followers of Jesus, as, as people in the 21st century trying our very best to follow Jesus the best way that we possibly can. So let's have a look at a story or two from the Bible, which is always a good place to start, about Jesus the rabbi. And then um, we'll try and unpack some of what that might mean for us as we try and work out how to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Not politely, jolly good. Mark, let's have a look at Mark chapter 1. The words should miraculous... Oh, look at that. There you go. Mark chapter 1, verse, starting at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and what? Followed him. Good. 
little bit of interaction. Check your weight. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his awesome, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And what? Uh, well done. Turn, to, um, turn the page to chapter 2. Go down to verse 13. Once again, uh, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Okay? He's a rabbi. Don't forget, he's a teacher. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now flip over the page to chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name of Hardword, which means sons of thunder. That's Hardword. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then just one more, uh, chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Just reading through some of those stories, there, did you see a pattern emerging? In story after story, the call of Jesus wasn't, hey, everybody, believe in me, because like, I am the Son of God, and you will all get to go to heaven when you die. It wasn't anything like that. Jesus' message, the call of Jesus was much more straightforward. The call of Jesus was, come and follow me. Or another way to translate that is, come and be my disciple. Now, the Hebrew word for disciple is, um, is, is Talmudin. And it can also be translated sort of follower or student, but it doesn't, um, now we kind of get slightly confused, I mean, in this day and age, apparently, this is a little bit beyond my um, comprehension, but um, now we think of follower in terms of sort of Twitter and, and, and social media. You know, so when we're talking about follower, it doesn't mean, you know, yeah, I follow Jesus and, you know, like I like all his photos or his pictures or his posts. You know, when we think about student, you know, those of you who are freshers here, you might be a student at Roehampton, and you're going to be sort of attending lectures probably starting tomorrow morning, I guess, and you're going to be taking copious amounts of notes and filing them all away and then wondering what on earth you took them for in the first place. It, it, it doesn't mean that. It means so much more than that. The, the word that does the, the best job of, of capturing all that's sort of in this package of Talmudim, this, this, this word, is actually the word apprentice. To follow a rabbi was to apprentice under a rabbi. Now, just to give you a little bit of backstory here, um, discipleship, this wasn't something that was invented by Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first um, rabbi to have disciples, nor was he the, the last. In fact, just discipleship didn't even start in Israel. It started hundreds of years before in Greece. Plato was the disciple of Socrates. Um, later, it's sort of discipleship, this model of training and sort of teaching and apprenticeship spread across the Mediterranean. Uh, but it was a very important um, process of learning in, first, in the first century world. The trouble is, for a lot of us who've grown up around the church or been around the church 
for any length of time. We're very familiar with the language of discipleship, but we sort of remove it naturally out of its first century context. So what did first century discipleship look like and how can that kind of help us as we think about being followers of Jesus in the 21st century? In the first century, um, discipleship was like the apex of the Jewish education system. Now, we're like three levels, as far as I can work out, to the uh, Jewish education system. And the first, the first level was this level called the house of the book. And it was basically like primary school. And you'd learn to read, and you'd learn to write, and you'd learn to do arithmetic and basic maths and all that kind of stuff. But you'd do it all from the book, you know, the equivalent of the Bible. And then, in fact, on top of that, uh, what you would do is you would, um, you would learn... And, and actually memorize um, most, if not all, of the Torah. That, that's the first five, five books of the Old Testament. So that's kind of uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You, you would learn those, and you would pretty much uh, memorize them. That's like that, that bit there. That's all the riveting books. Like, most of us can't actually read um, Leviticus and Numbers, certainly, let alone commit it to memory. Okay, so these are little children, and they're memorizing the, the first five books of the Bible. Um, now, uh, at the end of that sort of stage, most of the children would have been done probably around the age of 12. If you were a girl, uh, this is the first century, okay, remember, if you were a girl, you would leave school at 12, you'd go off and get married, and you would... Um, probably be married by the age of 13, 14, you'd start a family. If you were a boy, you would leave school around the age of 12 and you'd go off and be a, an apprentice in, your, in, the fa- in the family business under your father and stuff like that. Um, but the best of the best, the kind of the, the, the creme de la creme, the elite of this g- group from the house of the book would go on to a second level of education called the house of learning. And this was, uh, this was a building, it was usually attached to the synagogue and it was for boys, uh, usually between the ages of sort of 12 to 15. And, and they were kind of like the, the, the top of the class. And they would be taught by a full-time teacher. Um, and they would learn most, if not all, of um, what we now call the Old Testament. Right? So, again, like, these guys were pretty serious. So, like, this is now kind of really chunk, chunking into some stuff. This is quite a lot of stuff. That's, that's that much like they would learn and try and commit as much of it to memory as um, possible. You know, we, we're, it takes us like, like a year to read through the Bible if we're lucky and most of us kind of bail around January the 15th. Um, these young children uh, are committing to memory as much of the whole thing as they uh, possibly can. And then at that point... Pretty much everybody was done with their education. But there were very, very, very select few, the the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, who would go on and become an apprentice of a rabbi. And this is like the third tier, the third level of education. And it was almost impossible to get into. Uh, If you were lucky enough to get an interview with a rabbi, um, you'd sit down with the rabbi, and this rabbi would just kind of grill you over all the stuff that you've memorized and all the other stuff sort of paraphernalia and all the other books as well, things like the Mishnah, all kinds, of, what other, all kinds of other stuff. And they would interrogate you. And if they thought that you had what it took, and this is kind of like Alan Sugar on sort of steroids, right? But if they, 
if they thought that you had what it took, if you thought, they had, if you, if they, if you thought you had the, uh, the intellect, the acumen, the ability, the drive to become a rabbi yourself one day, the rabbi would say to you, come and follow me. Come and be one of my disciples. Okay, so let's say we've kind of got through all the three levels of education. Let's imagine that that were to happen to us and the odds are not in our favor. You, you, you've got through the process and you've now become an apprentice of a rabbi. And as an apprentice of a rabbi, you've got three, there are three goals. There are three things that you're supposed to be doing. And your first goal was to be with your rabbi. To be with your rabbi. Think of what we read earlier on in Mark. That they might be with him, is what it says in the text. Apprenticeship was like a 24-7 thing. It wasn't like lectures you know, for an hour on a Monday and then a half an hour on a Wednesday and then sort of an occasional one on Friday if you can manage it. Apprenticeship was all day, every day. You would literally follow your rabbi around every single day. You would eat at the same time as your rabbi. You would go to bed. You would sleep when he slept. You would wake when he woke. You would spend all day long at his side. There's this well-known Hebrew uh, blessing from the first century, and it says something along the lines of, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And and what it means is like literally after a day of following, and that's not a metaphor, that's actually walking behind, following in the footsteps of your rabbi. After following your rabbi from town to town, remember we're in the middle of the desert, this is dusty, there aren't any paved roads or anything like that, that you were lucky, that you were blessed if at the end of that day you would find yourself covered in the dust that had been kicked up from walking behind your rabbi. That was your first goal, first and foremost, to be with your rabbi. Your second goal was to become like your rabbi. And again, we see that line when we read, uh, when Jesus said to, to Peter and James and the guys, he says, um, paraphrase, and says, you know, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um, I think sometimes we read that and we kind of think that it's like some clever pun. It's like, you know, Jesus is like, he's pretty funny actually because here are some fishermen, right? And they're fishing. And Jesus says, come and I will make you men fishers. Do you see, sort of fishers of men. And that's clever. And um, that's sort of what he's probably saying. Um, But fishers of men, actually, it was a well-known Hebrew idiom for sort of like a super rabbi, like... um, like, a, like a, a great rabbi. Uh, and a, a, a great and supercharged rabbi would have been called a fisher of men because the rabbi would teach in such a way that would capture your mind and capture your imagination the way that like a fisherman would hook and then reel a fish. That's what Jesus is saying here. saying, come, um, come and follow me and I will make you, I, Jesus, will make you guys, I'll make you into great rabbis. You will become like me. I will make you into great teachers. That was the heart and soul of apprenticeship. We live in an age kind of, uh, especially in places like big cities like London, where um, there's this trend where life seems to increasingly be all about being true to yourself. You know, be true to yourself. Uh, You're unique. There's no one else like you in the universe. You're the most special thing ever and blah, 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 blah. Um, In Jesus' day, that, that wasn't the goal at all. The goal and the objective wasn't to be unique at all. Your goal was to become a carbon copy of your rabbi. 
You would literally follow your rabbi around. You would copy his every move. You would imitate his tone of voice. You'd imitate his mannerisms, um, his dress. You wanted to be him. So first of all, be with your rabbi. Second, become like your rabbi. And then the third goal was to do what your rabbi did. See that line about how Jesus' end goal was to send them out to preach? You know, that they might be with him so that he might send them out to preach and that they would have authority to drive out demons, blah, blah, blah. This is what Jesus had been doing. Jesus had been preaching and he'd been driving out demons. And at some point, Jesus is going to say to the disciples, okay, you're, you're ready. It, it's, your, it's your turn. And that's the whole point of apprenticeship. The whole point was that at some time in the process, your, your rabbi would come to you and say, okay, it's over to you. So there's the hope in place that after a few years, however long, your rabbi would turn to you and say, okay, you're ready. I believe in you. You've got what it takes. Now you go and make disciples. So let's move out of the first century and into the 21st century from Galilee to London. So if following Jesus is actually to apprentice under Jesus, the rabbi, our rabbi, what does that mean? Well, it it means exactly the same as it did then. It means that we are to order our lives around exactly the same three goals. First of all, to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. To be being with Jesus, that's our first, it's our most important objective, our most important goal. To spend every um, waking and sleeping moment with Jesus, our rabbi. And we kind of go, okay, um, does that actually look like like Jesus isn't actually here? You know, um, I can't see him. You know, isn't following Jesus more of a, a metaphor? Jesus, you know, as far as I, I, I check, last time I checked, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so, like, how does this how does this actually work in practice? Well, we do it through our relationship with the Spirit of Jesus. We do it through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And what this means is, it means that the first and, prime, first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is, is, is learning to live in like a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That's the baseline for all of life in the kingdom of God. And, and it, you know, you may be here this morning, you're new to this whole Jesus thing, or you, you may have just... Again, being challenged by James's talk from last week and thinking, I feel like I've lost some of that first love, actually. I have kind of misplaced it. I have started to take for granted the presence of God. And, you know, and you're asking, like, where do I start? Just begin right there. Just begin right there. Just start learning how to live uh, in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Just start carving out some time first thing in the morning or last thing at night or just um, interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves to attend to the presence of the Almighty, as Eugene Peterson says, at various spurts throughout the day, just to touch in and connect with God. Dallas Willard um, put it this way. He said this. I think this might come up. Yeah, okay. The first and most basic thing we can... The, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. 
Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God, which is like an understatement if you've ever tried any of this, right? But these are habits. They're not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Isn't that amazing? And his point is that living in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit of Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, all day long. What he's saying is it takes, it takes practice. It, it doesn't, doesn't happen overnight. And this is what things like the spiritual disciplines, what um, some people call the practices of Jesus, what they're for. Things like um, silence and solitude. Things like prayer and fasting. Things like reading the Bible. Things like Sabbath. Things like this. Coming together as the body of Christ to fix our eyes on Jesus. These are the time-tested ways in the language of Jesus to abide in or to remain in the vine, to present ourselves um, throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our lives. We just lead such hectic lives. Our lives are so over-scheduled. They're so busy. There's so much going on. We just have to take a moment to slow down. Just to stop. Just to breathe in. Just to breathe out. Just to kind of go, okay, God, you're, you're, he- you're here, but I, I've kind of not been here. I've, 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 I've been a bit pressed. So I, I've, I've been doing other things. I, I, I've, 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 I've been, you know, stuck in traffic on the way to work, or I've been on the school run, or I've been on the wherever I've been stuck on my emails or I've been on Facebook or or a million and one other things that I've been doing, all very good things, but that have distracted and taken me away from being here with you, God. You've been here all the time, but um, actually now I've kind of interrupted that preoccupation with myself and I'm now here and I'm now attending to the presence of the Almighty and I'm now here. I'm now here with you. Together, let's... Just spend some time together. We did that this morning when we were worshipping. One of the things that's amazing about worship is where we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves, we attend to the presence of the Almighty. We're basically saying, I'm stopping everything else, all the other distractions, all the other busyness, and I'm intentionally fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I'm saying, you've been here all the time, Jesus, but I now wanting to step in and just be here with you. We don't really have to do very much. I just want to be here in your presence. Let's just be together. Let's just kind of hang out. And this is where it starts to get really interesting because one of the best parts about following Jesus um, is Jesus. Just being in his presence. It's in this idea of practicing the presence of God. So that's our first goal. Our first goal is for you and for me to be with Jesus. Secondly, um, is to become like Jesus. To become like Jesus. And it's out of that place of abiding in the vine 
and just remaining in him and spending time with him and being with him, um, your goal and mine as apprentices of Jesus is to become like that of our rabbi, to become like him, like Jesus. Um, back in the day, we used to call this sort of sanctification. It's now called sort of spiritual formation. Um, but it's, it's this thing of um, that spiritual formation is a process. It, 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 it doesn't just happen in a moment. It, it takes time. This forming of ourselves, becoming more like Jesus, being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. This is a process. This takes time, and it takes, it's the time of us increasingly being permeated by the character traits of Jesus, by the spirit of Jesus as we walk in this easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus' uh, teacher. And, you know, if we were to, if we were to plot, sort of, if you like, um, you know, uh, the trajectory of our character traits, you know, of, of who we are becoming over the next two years or five years or ten years or however long down the track you want to think about it, are we on track as we look ahead down the track, are we on track to becoming Jesus, expressed through our personality and expressed through our gender and expressed through our um, work and vocation and our socioeconomic situation, whatever it might be. Are we becoming, are we set to be becoming more like him? Or are we becoming somebody or something else? I don't know about you, but I want to become the sort of person who's like Jesus from the inside out. I'm so far away from it. The, the older I get, the further away from that I, I, I realize that I am. When I was younger, I thought I was really, really like Jesus. And as I get older, I realize I'm really nothing like Jesus. I want to live out the Sermon on the Mount. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, you've got all of Jesus' most important teachings, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and it's all there in one place. You know, I read that and I want to be the kind of person who is becoming that that person, not just in like my behavior, you know, we're not just after behavior modification, although I could do with some of that, um, but you know, it's a good start. We're actually after inward transformation. We're actually after inside out transformation, not outside in. I want to become the kind of person for whom it's easier for me to love my enemy than it would ever be for me to imagine doing anything hurtful or harmful to them. I want to be the kind of person who, it's, for, me, for me, it's easier to trust God because he's my father than it is for me to be sort of anxious and stressed and worried about things. At the moment in my life, it's easier for me to, it's more natural for me to be stressed and worried and anxious than it is for me to sometimes have faith and to trust in my heavenly father. I want what the New Testament writers call transformation. And the, and the how we might actually get there, which is always the million dollar question is what we're going to be looking at over the next um, few weeks in a bit more detail so don't miss any Sundays coming up Um, but just to give you a spoiler alert it's going to take practice it's about practice and it takes practice in the context of our relationship our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our relationships actually with one another it takes a while it's a process It, it won't just happen in a day or, or even in a year. Uh, I'm 23 and it hasn't happened to me yet. Um, we have to partner with God. We have to partner with the people around us so that we can become all that God has created and intended for us to be. So being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then finally doing what Jesus 
doing what Jesus did. Because that's the whole point, that's the goal, and that's the outcome of apprenticeship, is that we, we, we carry on our master's work. You know, if you're, um, if you're an electrician, and you are an apprentice electrician, or an apprentice plumber, or something like that, you don't just learn about your trade, and go, hmm, yes, after four years, I know everything there is to know about plumbing. I mean, I can't plumb anything, right, but I, I've read like, all the books. You know, you're an electrician, it's like, I, I, I know all there is to know about electricity, and lights, and things, and stuff. I mean, I, like, don't ask me to rewire a plug. I don't know how to do that. But I, I can show you where it is in the book. It's not really the point. And Jesus' work wasn't only to teach about God and the Bible. Jesus' work was about ushering in the kingdom of God. And so our goal as apprentices of Jesus is not just to know all about the Bible and have all these facts and figures and useless and helpful pieces of information in our heads. Our goal is actually to join up with what Jesus is doing on earth in extending the kingdom of God right now in this place. And if you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you, you, you see, you can see what Jesus did. You can see what Jesus spent his time doing. He went around, he preached the Gospel, he taught people uh, the way, he healed the sick, he cast out demons. He um, spent a lot of time eating and drinking with people who were very, very far from God. And everyone else was like, shouldn't be doing that, shouldn't be doing that. He's like, oh, I'm just going to hang out with these people, like a few prostitutes and tax collectors and drunks and whatever. He, he spent time doing justice. He, he made peace. He, he, he spent time praying. He spent time prophesying. He, he, he spent time standing up against religious political corruption. There's all kinds of things that Jesus was actually doing. Now, here's the thing, that, that if we're apprentices of Jesus, eventually, now not necessarily on day one, but eventually, our goal is that we should all be doing all of that. Because that's what Jesus did. Our goal as an apprentice of Jesus isn't to just know all that there is to know about Jesus. It's actually to go and do the stuff that Jesus did. It's to grow and to mature to the place whereby we've got the capacity to join in with Jesus' kingdom work. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means uh, that we spend our time being with Jesus, we're becoming like Jesus, and we're doing what Jesus did. It's a life built around those three goals. And here in Mark, um, you see it actually throughout the Gospels, you come across these these two groups of people that kind of get mentioned in some of these verses. You've got the disciples, and then you've got the crowd. Do you see that? And when when we think about the disciples, often we just think about like the 12. You know, there's just 12 of them. You know, well, actually, the, that was like a subgroup. You know, there were 12, but there was just like a subgroup. That actually was the apostles. And Jesus had like hundreds, if not thousands, of followers, of disciples in, in Galilee and the whole surrounding area. Uh, he had male disciples. He had female disciples, right? And as far as we know, there was no other rabbi anywhere who had female disciples, women who were following Jesus. And so you've got this, this divide, if you like, this, this line between the crowd and the disciples. And it's, a, it's like a device that's used by Mark and others as a way of saying to us, the reader, which, which group are you in? Where, where are you? Are you a face in the crowd? Or are you a disciple? Or are you an apprentice of Jesus? And it's a, it's a question that's 
still really pertinent 2,000 years later. Dallas Willard again said this. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs. You just take a moment just to stop and think about all of the heartbreaking needs that there are in the world today. It doesn't, you don't have to like rack your brain to come up with a very long list of heartbreaking needs. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Isn't that amazing? Living the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. You see, Jesus wasn't just looking. Jesus isn't just looking for converts to Christianity. He's looking for apprentices to the kingdom of God. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at how we might think about being and becoming apprentices of Jesus. What might it look like for us to you know, experience the life in the full that Jesus has offered us so that we're doing life with God all day, every day, so that we're actually becoming more like Jesus and as Jesus transforms us from the inside out so that that, that, that personhood of Jesus leaks out and spills out wherever it is we find ourselves. As James was saying last week, working out how we put Jesus first, must come first. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then everything else comes out of that place so that we find ourselves doing the things that Jesus did. Does that make sense? Nod politely, even if it doesn't. Um, why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another.